We have 48,000 buildings within 50 metres of our fibre. So we're, we're actually, with the hyperscalers coming to New Zealand, building these massive data centres, looking at how we can actually have a really good B2B product. And we're building some of the fibre out to the hyperscalers now. And we think that you know elastic, secure uh, pipes is a really big thing for the future. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today we're back with Tony Baird, Chief Technology Officer at Vodafone New Zealand, uh, soon to be 1NZ. Welcome along, Tony. Here, Paul. How are you? Great. It's uh, it's really good to catch up again. It's uh, it's been a while, but there's been a, a huge amount going on in the in the world of uh, tech and telecommunications uh, since we last spoke. So looking forward to delving in. Uh, before we start, huge thank you to our show partners for keeping the New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, operating and for their broad support of the the tech and innovation ecosystems in New Zealand. That includes Vodafone. Uh, also, Two Degrees, Spark, HP, and Gorilla Technology. Well, so many things to talk about. I've kind of got a, a list of, as long as my arm of sort of questions and, and things um, that we could delve into. But maybe we can start by um, you know just hearing from you around sort of some of the the deadlines and things you've been working on um, you know over the last year or so because. It seems you've always kind of got this this work stream of of new things that you're uh, uh, trying to uh, juggle and and work through, and they can be driven from, uh, you know, I guess a, a few perspectives. It's it's always about looking after you, you know, the customer base, and and uh, uh, but also differentiating, you know, what Vodafone brings to the market. Uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, government have you know particular goals for the, for the country. So, uh, yeah, you've got a few uh, a few masters and so on, I guess, to uh, uh, to keep happy. But you know, what have been the highlights from your perspective, Tony? Well, look, we've pretty much three years in new ownership now um, with Brookfield and Infratil. Um, they've been absolutely brilliant owners. They're infrastructure guys and engineers, so they sort of get the things that spin my wheels. So the last three years have been pretty exciting. On, on the network build out. Obviously, COVID 19 got in the way a little bit. You know, roaming dropped away, well, pretty much to nothing. There was no yeah. roaming. Yeah, and that's pretty important. It's been a pretty important yeah. part of, of revenue for, for mobile carriers, hasn't yeah. it, in, years, in previous years? Yes, you got a lot of visitors coming in with international SIM card, um, you know, roaming SIM cards and also buy local SIM cards. So, roaming dropping away. It's about voice traffic is up to about 60% pre COVID. So, we're starting to see it climb again. Um, we're starting to see a few markets talk, talk about turning off 3G, so we're going to need you know, international roaming on 4 and 5G, so there's a bit of, effort, bit of work to go into that mm. as markets develop. So, you know, we're starting to see things um, come out of that COVID um, no-travel type scenario, and that's why we didn't haven't seen each other for so long almost, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's good. The, um, <clears throat> we still had quite a big build program going on. So with our new ownership, we had a strategy. The strategy was one of the key pillars is called Network Forward. And I'm the sort of the exec sponsor of Network Forward. And the idea here was um, a couple of initiatives. Firstly, uh, what we called Mobile First. And Mobile First was um, to make sure that we got the network, mobile network in the best possible shape, rolled out some more towers um, to get coverage. So one big area was provincial build. So we've built 
every year since 2020, 65 new towers uh, each year. So this year we're up to about 50. We'll hit 65 by, by March. Our financial year is March, end of March. We're doing province by province. So we've been doing places like Taranaki, Hawke's Bay, currently doing Canterbury region. The idea is each province you get a critical coverage improvement. And then we drive test it. And we've been getting independent drive tester Omlaat, who's now owned by Accenture, to drive test. And we've seen some absolutely brilliant results in those regions after we do the upgrades. So... You know, we've got a very good Auckland-wide cell phone coverage. Some of the provinces, we wanted to improve the coverage and we've been really heavily invested in that. So that's one big area of work over the last uh, three years and it will continue on. Yeah, because I guess, you know, from an Auckland-centric perspective, the Vodafone network was always, you know, very, very strong. Mm. Um, but I would often hear from, you know, people saying, oh, no, no, Vodafone not so much in, in, in this area or that area. Uh, from time to time, so um, so with that work, you think that puts you in a in a really really good position. Yeah, well, we announced our Towerco um, sale, so mm. we've sold the physical uh, towers. That's the concrete and the and the and the steel, all the active equipment we still rain, retain. And one of the benefits of that deal is we've committed to three hundred and ninety ish towers to be built across the country over the next ten years. So that means we now have a guaranteed build build commitment to get that coverage up and right now it's building out into those provincial towns. The main area for Auckland and some of the other metropolitan areas, Wellington, Christchurch, we still have some 3G areas where you go from 4G, 5G into 3G. As part of our 3G switch off, which we've said will be August 2024, we will have every 3G, everywhere where you see 3G will be 4.5G or 5G. So there's a massive upgrade program over the next 18 months to get that uh, that complete coverage across the country of 4, 4G and 5G. Right. And, um, I mean, I, there's, there's still places, and I'm sure it's not just me, uh, where, yeah, folks will go into areas and, um, uh, yeah, particularly when you're sort of way out in the country, yeah. right? And <clears throat> I noticed this um, over the weekend, so, Northland and out in the sort of back blocks, I suppose, and uh, I came across a road that was closed and so, oh, where do we go? And I can't remember whether I was looking at the signal in the on the car itself for its data or mobile phone, but not necessarily sort of specific to, um, all specific to Vodafone. But yeah, it was it was interesting. Like, oh, am I on two G here? And but we've got so used to the four G and five G speeds. Mm. Uh, that that that's kind of a welcome thing, but how do the different sort of frequencies sort of play into things for yeah, those sure. kind of edge cover coverage scenarios where we've you know folks are probably used to from time to time seeing a you know GPRS or or three G type signal yeah. pop so up. So two G two G will be turned off um, a little after three um, G. So we'll retain two G for um, for both international handsets that don't support. 4G and 5G calling, but also for um, IoT, machine-to-machine uh, -machine devices. So that will be around for a bit longer. 3G, August 2024. As I've said, we're going to upgrade every single cell site to have at least 4.5G, and possibly many of them will have 5G as well. So that'll be great for rural, RBI1, um, you know, the Rural Broadband Initiative Part 1, which we built 154 towers, um, you know, about... 10 years ago now, yeah. they um, they will get upgraded, so that'll give us more capacity. RBI 2, Rural Broadband Part 2, which is the 
Rural Connectivity Group. Sorry about all these acronyms. I'm trying to expand them out a little bit. Yep, yep. So the Rural Connectivity Group is a joint venture between Two Degrees, Vodafone and Spark. I'm currently the chair of that. Um, we had a master build program. So by December 2022, so that's this month, we need to actually have uh, 400 new rural cell towers built. I think we'll, how's, how's that gone? I think we'll be at 398. That's <laughs> so pretty like good. Two out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so we're pretty pleased about that actually, given that there's been COVID and mm. there's supply chain issues around the world. Yep. To get to be within two of our um, our build commit program is pretty impressive. Really impressive actually. The team's done really well. And what was that window of time for the for that that particular? Build five years, yeah, because that's happened quite yeah. rapidly, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So there's five years for that, and then there's an expansion program, and the expansion program is probably another round about a hundred additional south sites, so that'll be five hundred there. So Vodafone has about seventeen hundred of our own towers, plus this five hundred. We're up around twenty one, twenty two hundred cell phone towers. I actually did some numbers. <laughs> I think I'm a, I, my tenure at Vodafone. I'm about nine hundred of those. Okay, <laughs> so I'm quite proud of that. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a lot of build work. And yeah. so, those sort of uh, those you know scenarios where, uh, yeah, folks have have either yeah have had that sort of poor poor coverage. That's just going to keep getting better and better. What yeah. about folks that are in say rural locations and they're trying to you know weigh up what sort of connectivity. That they should have, um, you know, Starlink has been a, you know, has been a big thing mm. uh, in terms of, uh, you know, giving people access at a at a uh, at a good speed in locations that, you know, sometimes didn't have any coverage at all. Um, but of course, that's now part of, I guess, yeah. what you have to compete with in terms of your your uh, your rural offerings. Well, I right? actually see it as complementary um, with RBI one and RBI two. The sort of rural build-out, adding capacity and coverage. We tend to have fibre optics or high-capacity microwave for the backhaul, so we're not going to get the capacity constraints that satellites might get. You may remember I used to be CEO and part owner of Farmside many yes, years ago. Yes. Um, so I'm quite familiar with the issues that satellite, when they start to get fully loaded, will have. You know, I know this won't have as the latency issues that we had with IP Star, but it will have. Ultimately, there'll be uh, capacity issues if it, you know... The performance is really good. We've been testing it with small cells. Yes. So we actually have tried Starlink for for cell phone coverage as well, and it oh, seems wow. to work. So okay. that was a little, yeah. little. So the latent the latency is such that you could correct you could use that um, to to link up yes. a, a cell site too. Yeah, we've yeah. tested yeah. that and it works. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's complementary. I don't think yeah. it's going to be complete. You know, mm. ubiquity. I think it. Obviously, yep. fills in some of the gaps. So yeah, yeah I mean, all four satellite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, and in terms of the sort of the four point five and and five G, what does that do for those in those uh, rural rural areas? Because we've had you know we've had uh, you know data caps basically in in those rural a lot of rural locations, right? If you're on a um, on a, an RBI, yeah, uh, more fixed and more wireless the... connection, right? So what's what's happening on that front? So our fixed wireless access pr- products, you can get quite significant amounts of data and yep. in some, in fact, are actually unlimited. So mm. I would see that progressively being rolled out over time. It's yeah, really okay. around um, sharing what is a scarce resource. Yep. I think yep. you asked a question about spectrum before. And, yeah. you know, at the moment, a lot of those cell towers at the far edge have got um, some of the 
spectrum constraints. So mm. we'll be rolling out more spectrum, like 700 megahertz to all of them, which gives you range. We'll have um, 900 megahertz and in some cases 18 and higher frequencies. So we'll get capacity and closer in with the higher frequencies and yep. coverage with the lower frequencies. So yep. they'll be yep. rolled out progressively to give more capacity. That's the major issue for us. Yeah, because some areas at the moment you try to get a connection and actually it's uh, you'll get bounced back and saying actually we're at capacity at the moment, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's obviously quite a, quite important to get that, that balance right. I guess you have to draw a line somewhere in terms of you know, how many customers are going to go on to a particular site and, you know, depending on what that what the technology mixes, I guess, plays into that. But how do you how do you measure that in terms of what's an acceptable um, we load? Me- yeah, we measure utilisation of a south site. Um, so with obviously speed, data caps and number of customers, you've got mm. to balance all of those uh, variables. And you can add more spectrum. The other thing we're doing is adding, with each of the G technologies, 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G, one day 6G, um, you get more bits per hertz. So with 5G, we're sort of seeing eight bits per hertz. With, um, you know, 2G, 3G, it's one one bit per hertz. So you're actually seeing a lot more spectral efficiency as well. So that's a good reason for, for putting out some of these newer technologies. What do you think is sort of the the acceptable performance in, in a you know in a rural location? Um, it depends what the application is actually. Yeah, I mean, yeah. voice voice only needs very low bandwidth. Yeah. Um, streaming Netflix probably needs ten megabits per second. Yeah. So yeah. it depends on what you're actually doing, and then how many devices are connected. And yeah, because I guess that's what you have to weigh up, right, in terms of how you spread your your service out to how many customers and so on, you, you know, you could probably give people a certain level, but if it's not consistently at that and it sort of dips down to a megabit a second, then that's probably not going to work for, for too many folks, is it? So you have to you have to balance how that, how that I mean, that'll be that fine lands. for IoT, it'll be fine for, uh, mm. for voice, but probably not for streaming yeah. quality video. Yeah, yeah. So is there sort of a particular level for those those rural broadband um, offerings that you tend to target? As I said, as a minimum, it really does depend on yeah, the application okay. and the number of customers. And we do have to black out some of the sites by not selling more capacity just yeah. to maintain the service offering we've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm curious about that because, yeah, that's part of the sort of yeah, feedback when I get to people and, you know, you'll get some people that are just, they're, they're evangelists for Starlink, right? That They put it in and they're like, ah, oh, this is amazing, I'm getting, you know, X percent sort of better performance than I was on on a, um, yeah, um, a, say a 4G, you know, type type connection. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's... Time will tell. That's going to be interesting to see how it how it plays out. And now you, you talked about sort of uh, this move to 4.5G and, and 5G really across all the, all the cell sites. How much of a premium is it to get to you know get to five G on the sell sites? Because that's that's the that's quite a step up in terms of investment, isn't it? Yeah, to look, do that. at the moment for two G, three G, four G, we are using the same passive antenna, so you right. get a multi-input passive antenna. Okay. Five G um, at three point five gigahertz, we've been putting up basically the rectangular active antennas. So that they are more expensive than a passive antenna. 
um, they tend to have um, massive input, massive output, which is multiple beams inside the antenna. Yep. That's how you get things like beam forming, which gives you the capacity, it allows you to start to do some adaptive stuff types of applications. So it has some real smarts in it, which, which is good. Um, the problem with 3.5 gigahertz is, you know, we're going to get 80 megahertz of bandwidth, um, which will give us great capacity for fixed wireless access. It'll give us the ability to do unlimited plans and other things. Yeah. What it doesn't do is have the range of the lower frequencies. Okay. You're sort of talking yep. clear line of sight, maybe five kilometres, um, and it's not great at penetrating concrete and triple glazing and things like that. So it, it, whilst it has capacity, it has speed, it has all those benefits, um, it all, you have to trade that off with um, coverage. So at the 700 megahertz, which is the other end, we've got 4.5G, so okay. 4.5G, which yep. gives you the coverage layer. 900 megahertz, which is the next block above, when we turn off 3G, we'll be refarming that spectrum for 5G. So we'll have a low band 5G, so yeah, you can okay. join the two together. Yep. And a lot of these new technologies, um, you do, um, you've got the ability to basically aggregate carriers, so aggregate spectrum, basically glue it together. And when you glue it together, you get even more capacity and even more coverage because you've got the coverage at the low band, the speed and uh, capacity at the higher bands. Glue it all together, you get a really good offering. So that's some of the bits and pieces we're going to be doing. So oh, I'm trying to make it sound easy cool. to understand. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's really good. The other aspect, I guess, with uh, with 5G and, and people having 5G sort of a fixed wireless type offering uh, is the the router, the customer premise equipment, um, you know, that, that needs to be uh, in home to access that. Um, that equipment's been reasonably pricey, hasn't it? So yeah. that's is that still part of the mix that sort of yeah. uh, you know play, plays into that adoption of of five G for residential yeah. and, and and rural use? Yes, it has been actually. Yeah. Um, the main issue has been um, I think with the supply chain, you've seen massive inflation across the board. Yeah, uh, our industry's seen the same thing with equipment supply. Uh, delays and and price increases. Um, we were hoping to have the CPE cost come down, you know, thirty to fifty percent mm, over mm. since we launched, which was late twenty nineteen, December twenty nineteen. We launched five um, G. It hasn't come down, but we're starting to see volumes rise around the world. So we'd hope yep. to see the price points come down this early. Not not this year. We're almost at the end of the year. Um, yeah. Middle of next year. Yep. <laughs> yeah, twenty twenty three. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, good stuff. Now. Um, the eSIM side of things, that's taken a little bit longer to uh, to land, but it's uh, it's here. Yeah, look, I've got eSIM in my handset, so we've got yeah. the handset side of it working yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, mainly people also mix eSIM with wearables. So we'll have wearables in the market next year. Um, we've got the, um, uh, the network appliance running now, so basically we can test it. It's a matter of adding it into the plans and making it available and... and um, in the sort of IT side of the systems. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Oh, that's uh, that's good. That's definitely one I've been uh, I've been I've been waiting for. Uh, the other networks have beaten you to the yeah, uh, I know. the punch. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> that is definitely the case. Now, the work that you've been involved in, as far as sort of emergency services in in New Zealand, there's been some big 
really big stuff going going on there. There's, I guess, two aspects to that. Um, can you can you run us through what's uh, what's been happening? Yeah, yeah. So we're really really pleased about the, this project. Um, I think it's been about seven years to get to where we got to. So <laughs> we had a few uh, few trials over the years. The um, project is Next Generation Critical Communications (NGCC) or um, Public Safety Network. So overseas, America, Europe, you're starting to see the emergency services use 4G, 5G technology um, instead of two-way press-to-talk radios. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're doing that is because they then get the benefits of IoT, they get the benefits of heat sensors, they get the benefits of video, all the other things that come with a cellular service. Yep. They also get um, the ability to access applications, so you know, driver's licenses and other other applications where they can have them in real time rather than have to have a notepad. So it's going to increase productivity um, of, of the emergency services and the quality of service that they give. So we're seeing that rollout will commence next year. It's a joint venture with Spark and Vodafone. We've formed a joint venture company. Uh, I'm on, on the board of that. And we will be delivering firstly roaming, so you can roam between the two networks. So that will give benefits of coverage and capacity and other things. And there will also be um, QPP, which is quality of service, preemption. Um, so basically the, the handsets that the emergency services get in a congested environment will, will preempt and get priority and a grade of service so they, they can make calls do the video, whatever they need to do as the application. Yeah, I think that bit's quite quite fascinating. Um, you know, I've heard heard a few bits and pieces around, uh, you know, how how that actually you know operates. What can you what can you share in terms of what could be a, a real world sort of you know scenario where that might come in, uh, yeah. come in quite you know quite handy and and you know how how it would you know what the difference would be in that emergency scenario for emergency services versus say you know a member of the public who uh, whose you know communication isn't going to be as important yeah well if you just rewind one scenario would be the Christchurch earthquakes um, where a number of cell towers had disrupted power supplies um, you know we had six rooftop cell towers that Ultimately, were deconstructed buildings. We put in another 17 roadsides, but that took time to build all of that out. Mm, mm. You had a lot of people wanting to make texts, phone calls, um, send videos, all sorts of things, general public. The emergency services also want to be able to make contact. So in that sort of scenario, the emergency services would get priority. They'd be able to preempt other access. So the scheduler, which basically schedules operations on the network, they get priority. So that they'd be able to make phone calls, stream video, get back to the command centre, all of the sorts of things that you'd expect for the emergency services to get. So that would be one one example. Right, even if there wasn't enough sort of capacity for everyone to be doing that. So if they were lumped in with everyone else, they might find it waiting you know, twice as long for a video to, to get through yep. or or if they're doing, you know, live a live video, you know, communication that, right. that actually works rather than, you know, being stuffed. Yeah. That's the idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, historically there was something that we enabled on our network called Emergency um, emergency Network Priority Access, ENPA, which was a SIM card setting and you get a number of classes of user. Mm-hmm. So we'd actually given um, emergency services ENPA, but it's not as dynamic or fluid as um, what uh, QPP will be in the new yep. standards. It's more of a SIM card setting. This is a dynamic 
So they'll get issued, or everybody get issued with a new, um, they'll keep retain their phone number, but they'll get a new SIM card with all the right settings on it, an eSIM card, <laughs> eSIM yep. with the right settings on it to access these services. Yeah, okay. Now, one thing that, that Vodafone had been part of uh, Vodafone Group in the past was the shore signal boxes, the sort of femtocells for if you're in an area without uh, without great coverage. And in fact, you know, my home used to be one of those. Um, I've had clients that are uh, you know have fallen yeah. into into that aspect, even let's say the CBD because of the nature of their building and and you know other uh, other other complexities. Um, how's that operating today? Because you've got um, you've got IP based calling. Is a fem to sell sort of you know something else that um, it might might come back again in the future? Yeah, good question. So um, our, we launched our fem to sell in 2011, and um, it was just end of life. We it had run out of um, we couldn't get upgrades for it. So originally were they three G the original 3G, ones? Three G twenty one hundred megahertz. Yeah. So um, yeah, we launched that at Bethel's Beach in uh, 2011. So um, quite a while ago. And basically, because A, 3G is becoming the end of life anyway, and um, we wanted to reuse the 2100 megahertz spectrum for other services, we were rolling out 700 megahertz, which we didn't have prior. When we launched Femtocell, we didn't have the 700 megahertz spectrum. So firstly, we'll have 700 megahertz nationwide, as I've already said mm. within the next um, 18 months, number one. All cell sites will have at least 700 megahertz on it. Number two, um, 3G is going to be shut off, so the fem to cell we could not get any spare parts for it. So better coverage with the macro network, 3G switch off. We are actually testing other services with small cells. Small cells is a new type of fem to cell We've been testing that in the lab. We'll be um, rolling that out in the future. The other thing we enabled since um, the fem to cell um, was shut down was uh, Wi-Fi calling. So you can actually make phone calls on your Wi-Fi network and we enabled that yep. pretty much any broadband service. Yep. So people get the benefits of Wi-Fi calling. So I guess there's three or four alternatives. Plus to answer your question, yes, we are looking at a replacement. Yeah, okay. Oh, that'll be very interesting. So walk us through the the, the different types of um, cell sites now. The, the you know, You've got the fem to cell, which is your... You know, your tiniest one could go in a you know home or a business and yep. and, and 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 plug in and um, yep maybe that will that will come back in 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 the future. Small cells. What are the other you know variations up to a full blown sort of yeah. cell tower? I'll go the other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. for fun. Yeah. So we start off with like uh, I mean your biggest of the big um, lattice towers that you see mainly in rural mm, mm. and they have wide coverage. You know they can be up to forty meters high and you put a lot of technology up those, and that gives you coverage, capacity, range, but they are big. What's the sort of maximum range that they, um, they would reach sort of in each direction? So with 700 megahertz at maximum power, I did a trial to 25 kilometres. Yeah, So you can probably get further, but 25 kilometres we're getting pretty good performance. Mm. And that's with your 700 megahertz? That's 700 megahertz. Yep. So I did yep. that at Lake Brunner quite a few years ago in the okay. South Island as yep. a test. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then for those that are the rural broadband connection, what sort of distance would, would you get? So that? that that would be a rural, that Lake Brunner okay. was a rural trial okay. to see how far we could yeah, get. Right. So I'd yep. be seeing, you know, 20 kilometres easy uh, yep. in rural, uh, yep. as long as it's got, you know, 
hasn't got a mountain range in front of it or something like that because it tends to <laughs> attenuate the signal pretty quickly. Yeah. So we go from that all the way down. Um, you see a lot of street poles. Um, mm. Under the Telecommunications Act, you can put a street pole in with lighting and make it look aesthetically good. They, they're very common. We have quite a few um, street side towers. Yeah. And then from that we go further down. We do things like distributed antenna systems in stadiums and parks, which are basically fibre optics with little antennas off the end of them. Uh, we do small cells, which are no, not much bigger than a Wi-Fi box, and there's 4G and 5G variants of those that we're testing. And then at the very end of the scale, you have the, um, the fem-to-cell type um, broadband products. And we're supporting everything above fem-to-cell now, and we're mm. looking at a fem-to-cell replacement. So what uh, what are some example scenarios with the small cells and where they're sitting? Yeah, the small cells are, are really good because they come in a range of radio frequencies. So as I said before, the um, 3.5 gig 5G potentially you know, gets attenuated on concrete and triple glazing. But you can put those small cells with that radio f- frequency inside a building. So private 5G is a, is a use case where people might be replacing their Wi-Fi with a 5G. You get the benefit of a in-building 5G solution, and then you move outside the building and you just seamlessly transition across. Yep. And we've got at least um, a couple of enterprises actually doing trials of that right now. Yeah, okay. And, um, you know, we, I guess we heard as, as, you know, 5G was coming through that potentially one of the scenarios for for 5G might be these sort of, you know, private networks and sort of manufacturing type cases and uh, and and so on rather than, you know, wired or, the demo or, we had or, with or surgery. Wi-Fi. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, how's, how's, how's that stuff coming along? Is that... Um, yeah, I think those applications are going to take off, but they have mm. been slower than mm. I guess I expected. Mm. Um, our use case for 5G was really going to be fixed wireless access, and we've already mm. talked about mm. the price points of the CPE, which we hope to see coming down middle of next year. Mm. We're doing some private 5G um, trials at the moment, so I would expect that to take off quite quickly. Uh, the emergency services that I was talking about, I see that potentially being a network slice, so a network slice is basically where you can dedicate dynamically some spectrum for a um, particular use case. So it could be manufacturing, it could be emergency services, it could be IoT. So I see network slices being the next big thing, which sort of intersects all of those things. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, we don't hear much about the, um, I guess, millimetre wave band um, here in New Zealand where... Where's that likely to uh, to to fit in in the, in the oh, That's a good question. The millimetric radio that's around twenty six gig gigahertz, and we've seen in Australia the auction for that, um, and and people getting about one thousand megabit megahertz of spectrum. Mm, so mm. you know, if you think about, we're getting two by fifteen megahertz at the seven hundred. You get a thousand megahertz or one gigahertz of millimetric. That means you can get Huge, huge capacity. The problem, again, it's a trade-off with, with distance. You go hundreds of metres rather yeah, than, yeah. you know, tens of kilometres. So you've got that trade-off. We are seeing use cases for uh, residential fixed access. Yeah, OK. Um, I think that'll be quite big. Uh, in-building coverage solutions will be big. And we'll definitely be doing something with um, millimetric radio. I've already done some trials um, a couple of years back. So when that spectrum comes up, 
for renewal uh, in the next few years, we'll definitely be getting some. For instance, one use case could be our HFC network where we have uh, DOCSIS cable modems in other cities. That could be a use case, another use case more on the residential side of it. So how would that fit in in those types of scenarios? Well, we've, got, um, we've got a lot of street cabinets. We've got okay. uh, street cabinets in, in Christchurch and Wellington. You could conceivably see a small antenna up a, up a pole okay. and it would be driving a number of homes. Oh, that, that's interesting. And what is happening with the uh, with the HFC uh, network we hybrid are, fibre coaxial? You get sort of around gigabit type. Um, yeah, it's going really well. With, the speed is today, right? Yeah, the uh, Sam knows um, benchmarking showed the performance of it is really, really super good at the moment. Um, Nine hundred meg is pretty common for the downlink speeds. We are supporting that product. Um, we are continuing to support it, but. Probably by the late 2020s, we'll be looking at a replacement for it. We're just working through the planning for that now. Right, right. So does that mean you could actually, re- like, a physical sort of replacement or that could that could be a, a mobile sort of based option or whatever, all options all on the options table? All options are on suppose. the table, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> you've, yeah. you've got the LFCs, local fibre companies, you've got mm. do you do another DOCSIS replacement, do you use 5G radio, do you do fibre to the home and compete? There's a whole raft of options, and at this point we, we can't really say what we'll be doing, but yeah, it's still yeah. supported for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating because there's not too many markets, you know, probably internationally where there has been sort of overbuild of fibre, but, I mean, your network is, you know, is in places where people have got access to the HFC as well as the, uh, you know, fibre-based, um, you know, ultra-fast broadband, right? So mm. there, there's already a, a little bit of, uh, and then, some, you know, some people would have, uh, well, a lot of those scenarios are going to be copper uh, in there as as well, which obviously yeah, won't, uh, won't, won't be copper supported connect- for too long. I would get rid of my <laughs> copper connection. Do not have <laughs> copper. Unless you have to, then, you know, replace it with uh, the HFC network or the fibre network. I mean, we, as you know, the company... Um, one New Zealand or Vodafone has has thirty years. We've been in the market. Um, so thirty years ago, Bell South um, launched in New Zealand uh, and became Vodafone in nineteen ninety eight. So thirty over that thirty years, we've acquired a number of companies. So Saturn Communications became Telstra Saturn, which became Telstra Clear after merging with Clear Communications. Bow South became Vodafone. All of these companies came together, plus a few internet service providers like mm. iHug, Paradise, uh, World Exchange. So as yep, you yep. farm side, as you merge yep. all these companies in, we've got a range of technologies. Mm. We've mm. also got a huge asset base. The fibre network that, that some of those uh, brands I mentioned built out across this country, we have 48,000 buildings within 50 metres of our fibre. We have 8,000 buildings connected with either one or two connections into the building. So we're, we're actually with the hyperscalers coming to New Zealand, building these massive data centres, looking at how we can actually have a really good B2B product. And we're building some of the fibre out to the hyperscalers now. And we think that you know elastic, secure uh, pipes is a really big thing for the future. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Okay, so, so to, to service the... The hyperscalers, these you know massive new data centres that are going in, uh, is that that's new infrastructure that you've got to put in the yeah, put in the ground? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, firstly, the hyperscalers are using a lot of international um, bandwidth. Mm. We've got the TGA cable out of Raglan, which is 
We own um, 46% of that cable. We've been upgrading that. That's um, multi-terabit per second capacity, and every year we add about 1.2 terabits okay. of international capacity on that cable system. Yeah. So that's firstly to get to the international data centres and also all the video content that comes in from offshore. Mm. We are also building fibre out to some of the new hyperscaler data centres, and that is so that you can get highly secure, high-capacity bandwidth into them for some of these um, you know, public cloud applications. Yeah. So it's a super yeah. exciting time for the country as far as fibre connectivity. Mm. Not, and I see fibre fully complementary with 5G because you can have 5G access, you can have fibre access, groom it into a really high-capacity fibre pipe to either a public cloud in Aotearoa or offshore using the TGA and other international systems. It's a lot going on, isn't there? Exponential growth. <laughs> and... I mean, I remember looking in the basement of the building. We moved into uh, here a year ago and, and seeing Telstra, probably a Telstra Clear logo or two and, and whatnot. You know, you talked about there being a lot of, you know, you've got a lot of fibre uh, around the place. I mean, you know, you, you own copper going into into buildings and so on as well. But since the ultra-fast broadband initiative, we haven't tended to you know, hear so much about other offerings for getting fibre into into buildings. So uh, is that something that's, that's kind yeah, of a, we, con- a consideration we, at yeah, the Yeah, we do have a lot of on-net customers still. And with the, I mean, historically, a UFB connection has been, if you've been having all of your data hosted in a rack, in a server on-prem, mm. on-prem storage, mm. People said, oh, I'm just downloading stuff from the internet, but I do all my office business critical stuff in my rack in the basement. Mm, mm. I think the next few years with the hyperscaler data centres, people are going to get, and COVID also started to drive some of this, people are going to take that data that's in the basement of your building and put it into a public cloud. Yeah. And when it's in the public cloud, you need symmetrical high bandwidth links mm, mm. that are highly secure because it's going to be hosted in the public cloud. And I think that's going to drive a change in usage. That's oh, my best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I, these are, that's that's your job to figure out these things, and uh, yeah, make sure you got the right offerings. Um, so oh, I think that'll that'll be uh, yeah fascinating to see um, what that means. Now, in terms of traffic growth, we seem to keep eating up more and more uh, internet. What does that What does that look like? Is there's been uh, you know you continuing to see a, a pretty consistent sort of uh, trend in terms of uh, usage growth year to year? Uh, yes, this year will grow about 30, 30 to 40%. Um, prior years we were up around the 50 to 60%. So the percentages are there or thereabouts, but actually what that translates into is about 32 petabytes of data a month on the mobile network. So quite a big um, you know, consumption. And then a percentage increase on a 32 compared to a 10 is obviously quite a big volumetric number. So we're having to beef up our fibre optic links, our data centres. Every year there's a huge amount of additional build just to service the capacity requirements. Mm, mm. And in terms of equipment, servers, at cell sites and so on, we sort of you know heard about with 5G, I guess, this, this aspect that you're you know, bringing data closer to, uh, to to users. Is there Has there been a, much of a demand for, not, for that? Not so much yet. Mm. We are doing a mobile edge compute um, trial. What I think, it, it's going to be horses for courses. So mobile edge compute, mobile edge compute 
private cloud and public cloud. So there'll be this sort of continuum of storage and obviously international as well, which we talked about. So that continuum. Mobile edge compute is going to be really useful for um, high volume, low latency, where you can actually do the number crunching on site. So video surveillance would be a classic. You could do all your video surveillance using mobile edge compute. There's a, a, an event of interest, like a, a crime or, or you know, car or something. That's, so that event of interest, that piece of data using AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning, would be sent to the central office. Um, and then you just carry on processing locally. So mm. I see examples like that, um, autonomous cars, vehicles, those sorts of things, mobile edge compute. Where I think you'd still want access to the public cloud is things like your your office productivity suite, you know, like Microsoft or something else, you'd still be going to the public cloud. So it's a continuum, it's a horses for courses. Now there's this rebrand thing going on, the Vodafone name's getting shortened down to, to one NZ. Does that actually have some technical uh, implications for you? Is it yeah, quite a well, bit to, to, to think about with that? It does. So I don't know if you noticed, but there's a thing called NITS, Network um, Identification and Time Zone. So it, on the top of your screen where it has the display, that's the NITS field. So we, we um, adapted the NITS field. We can code it. Uh, you might have noticed we changed the, the banners quite a few times over the last few years, you know, stay safe and, um, you know, Tireo Language Week or, yeah. or whatever it yeah, might be, got, we've been got, changing yeah, it. Yeah, quite so, dynamic with with the name of the <laughs> yeah. network. There. So, so that was that was that's one just one thing. We we started chopping off the letters down to one, and we got a few complaints. People said, "Is there a problem with it, with my phone?" Because <laughs> 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 went V, then Vodafone, then Odafone, <laughs> down to one. So we got so that was one thing we had to change. Yeah. Um, but technically, um, some some strange things. You think. Um, Pithole covers, um, I think, you know, pithole covers, there's Saturn, Telstra Saturn, Clear, Telstra Clear, Vodafone, there might even be Bell South out there. So pit covers um, probably, will, well, we'll definitely be having a new branded pit covers. I don't think we'll replace every single one in the country. That could no, be a bit no, of chaos. They're quite interesting, <laughs> aren't they? It's a little bit like you have a tree trop down and you can kind of, you know, work out its age. There's a little bit of looking at the pit covers and go, oh, it's got a Telstra clear. Okay, that's uh, that's this kind of time window maybe yeah, when, I'm a, uh, I'm when a, that was put in. I'm sort of a, a pit spotter. <laughs> I'm not a train spotter, I'm a pit spotter. So I do, I do go around and look at the pits. So that, that's one example. But if you think about it, there's the obvious ones like the stores need to be rebranded and they're working through what those new stores will look like. That's, they look really good, actually. Rotorua is the first one. Um, that's not really in my in my department so sure, much. But in, yeah. in the technology field, funnily enough, things like billing stacks all need to be changed so that you get the right logos on the bill. Uh, some of those things are actually so old that they're hard-coded, so you've got to go through the code and actually find where it says, you know, Vodafone and replace it with with one one New Zealand. So there's there's actually quite a lot of tech work behind the scenes, um, websites, applications. You know, my Vodafone app, mm, those sorts of mm. things. So quite yeah, a lot. it's interesting. I, I certainly imagined um, that. Yeah, a lot of software would have been developed without the without the thinking that they need to be able to change the brand uh, along the way. So stuff would be uh, would be hard coded, and if that's a bit older, that can be more of a more of a challenge to yeah. uh, to work with. And you're still on a journey with sort of completely merging billing systems and, and that te technology. Yeah. That's so been we, a challenging we, we one. We started something a few years ago. Um, so from um, iHug, there was a 
the product was called TP2, The Program 2, mm. innovative name. World Exchange had a stack called Bandit. So everybody had their little views. Uh, yeah. Telstra Clear had a Clarify Keenan-based system and Vodafone had uh, Siebel uh, BRM-based system. So we had four, four. We had a bit of everything going on. The old iHug was coded in Delphi. I don't know if anybody remembers <laughs> these old languages. So we've pretty much um, migrated most consumers now across to the um, the Vodafone um, Siebel stack. So that's yep. been progressing. Um, we haven't switched off any of the legacy stacks, and over the next few years, we'll we'll be looking to consolidate and simplify. So, so there's going to be a big simplification program. People want. Unlimited mobile, unlimited broadband, and at a at a reasonable price. So, we'll we'll simplify a lot of the legacy products, and that'll make that job a lot easier to standardise the IT systems. Yep. So, is that the yeah? What would be the what would be the hardest bit of you know being able to consolidate all of all of that? Because there's uh, always edge cases. Yeah, there is always. I there. mean, we still have on our prepaid platform something called Motormouth. I don't know if you remember when you could have weekend oh, yeah. weekend free calling on your right right. <laughs> And, and uh, the, the texting systems going back to 2G. So we've got to turn all of those off. That's the pre on the prepay side. The biggest issue is um, making the customer migration as painless as possible because, unfortunately, you know, people get used to the older product and the way it's invoiced and paid and whatever their add-ons are, and making that as painless as possible for the customer, that is what we have to get right. That's the biggest and that difficulty. seems to have been a really big focus under the under the new ownership. I understand that uh, you know when you call up for customer service these days, you you know you're dealing with local people in in New Zealand again. So there seems to have been a really big um, focus on that customer experience. There has been um, Jason, my boss, has been extremely um, passionate about about customer facing. Uh, that's things like you know the. Um, bringing the call centres back into the country and having them domiciled here, uh, things like um, the retail stores being part of part of our whānau. So bringing it all back together mm. uh, has been big and, and part of that will ultimately be this IT and product simplification that goes with it. Yep, yep, yep. And I see um, – I haven't noticed them too much in the last little while, but it's sort of been pretty accessible on uh, on Twitter and, and, and whatnot. So, uh, you know, I guess he's got a – He's got a real taste of uh, you know, those scenarios where people maybe haven't had a good good experience. Uh, he's been he's been hearing from people directly. He and, has been uh, hearing directly, yeah, and we get, get a lot of those forwarded to us. <laughs> yep, I think he, he's even been on the the Geek Zone forums and and stuff as well. So uh, yeah, I think that stuff is really cool when there's that much of a uh, focus and interest in uh, in the in the customer. And being accessible to to hear from them, uh, obviously there's some there's some challenges to I to, think to that too. But uh, I, it's I, really good yeah. to to have that pulse, isn't it, on what's going on and what 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 works and uh, what doesn't for them. Yeah, I don't think anybody gets up in the morning saying, "How can I make a customer's day unhappy?" So no. you just, I mean, it's best when you hear. I just got coverage from a new cell tower and I've got this amazing performance. That's what you want to hear. So Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, any other things that we have? We've covered quite a quite a bit. Any particular um, things we've missed or that we should uh, we should delve into? No, I think we've covered quite a lot. Um, I mean, as we progress with some of these um, small cell technologies, be quite happy to come back and have a yeah. bit of a chat, bring some samples along with me. Yeah. Uh, as we head into the vacation season, obviously we've put – 
temporary sales sites out into the region. So everybody going to their holiday hotspots, hopefully they get the performance they're, they're expecting. Uh, you know, the usual Coromandels and everything. We're hoping get everybody having a nice hot summer. So want to yeah, make sure the coverage's out there for them. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's very, very helpful. Actually, this last weekend in Auckland we had uh, – a lot going on. I was sort of driving back to Auckland, so I got to sort of see the, the tail end of it. But, uh, yeah, we had Eden Park was uh, was packed out for uh, Guns N' Roses, I yeah. think. Then there was uh, something at Western Springs, I think maybe Christmas in the park on. How How is sort of the, the latest, uh, you know, in terms of how your network's set up and 5G and so on, how do you cope with those scenarios and how's the experience sort of different from what it what it might have been, you know, five years ago? Yeah. So we're ne- going to need to get more 5G into the stadiums. Um, Eden Park has seven base stations in it with a wow. distributed antenna system. Yeah. And some of the stadiums, when people start up up-link- linking to Facebook, streaming video, you do yeah. start to see. Uh, so I think 5G some of those stadiums is going to really be um, a, a rollout. We have 35 south sites on wheels. We call them cows That's <laughs> and they're right. roaming. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. we've got 35 south sites on wheels. They get deployed for these special events and we have a very heavy um, summer calendar as we migrate them around. Actually, some of you might be interested. We're looking to put a south site on wheels into Transmission Gully. Um, oh, interesting. Pre-Christmas, all going well. A gap there, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So we'll get yeah. some yeah. coverage into Transmission Gully. Uh, there'll be uh, ultimately uh, uh, a number of south sites going along that roadway, but uh, couldn't quite get them in for Christmas, but a south site on wheels will be going in. So, yeah, so look, yep. it's temporary coverage. It's more 5G, more in-building solutions that we were talking about earlier. And um, we didn't sort of delve too much into into IoT, but Internet of Things, we're on this journey to more and more and more devices, and yeah, you know, I've been used to it in my, in my car over the last sort of three years or so, having you know having a vehicle that's that's always on from a connectivity standpoint, or, or nearly always on. There's you know there's the odd times where, where there isn't coverage and so on. And in fact, I think Tesla have had a had a few problems with their particular approach. So maybe maybe there's an there's an opportunity for a, a local uh, telco to. Uh, Pick something up with uh, with them. I think uh, they've had uh, Telstra sims on some sort of a, a roaming arrangement, and there's been some uh, some dramas there. So probably going on for a you know couple of months, sort of on and off. Uh, I keep hearing people having really bad experiences. I haven't been sitting in the car watching Netflix or anything to have noticed it myself. But um, and and you know other vehicles that are coming, you know, coming in. Particularly, I think as we move to electric. Vehicles, there's a, you know, there's that expectation, especially some of the new brands to really c- compete, uh, and so that's one aspect. But there must be uh, must be lots of other uh, aspects there uh, from the IoT perspective, and and I guess there's the um, the power meters that are in our homes, which are largely on two G, yeah, uh, right. So there's there's uh, there's a fair bit sort of you know keeping you busy there. Yeah. So IoT, I expecting to ramp quite dramatically. We've rolled out nationwide narrowband IoT, so that's low data, things like power, water, mm. meter readers. Mm. We've got LTEM, which is um, long-term evolution mobility, um, so that's multimedia data, so that's video cameras and the like. There's quite a lot of that growth um, happening. I would imagine, you know, we were talking about, what were we talking about a few years ago? 50 billion IoT devices connected yeah. by 2025. Yeah. I don't think we'll get to that somehow. I think that was 
but certainly the growth is coming through now. Um, track and trace is pretty big. You know, things like containers, um, mm, you know, mm. medical equipment, that sort of thing. You'll start to see a lot more uh, IoT in that space. Um, actually, what I didn't talk about is we've launched a mobile virtual network, uh, MVNO. Uh, oh, My yes. Republic are on That's it now. That's right, yeah. And yeah. that also will have IoT, so we can wholesale IoT and we can okay. wholesale fixed wireless access. So yep. we actually yep. have uh, some products now coming through where we can wholesale the access mm. of which IoT will mm. be one. And the one thing that we didn't we didn't touch on, um, which I'd be remiss not to ask about, is we've been hearing out of North America around the role of satellite uh, in the future in a, in a in a completely different way, right? So Apple with with their phones in an emergency scenario, you go and sort of you know it'll guide you, and you stand on a hill and yeah. hey, I'm you know whatever the the drama is, um, there's that that opportunity to be able to get, you know, help in an emergency. And then on the the SpaceX and, and Starlink side, that you know, they've talked about a deal there with T-Mobile uh, to, I guess, effectively put a put a cell tower in the, mm. in the sky, uh, you know, um, 500 kilometres up or 550 or wherever, wherever they, um, wherever they, they end up uh, finalising. And uh, that being being an option for T-Mobile customers now, I'm not, and and I think there's been a, there's been a few others sort of of these things going on. As do you think that's going to be something uh, that will be relevant to to New Zealand? In yeah, the, in I, I, do. Years ahead? I do. I um, do. Obviously, these sorts of things are commercially sensitive at yeah. the moment. Yeah. But when it's available, we'd definitely be looking at it because I think, especially if you're tramping, we're a country of great outdoors, places yep. to go, boaties, yeah, camping, yeah. tramping. You won't get a macro tower necessarily there, but mm. this will be very useful for search and rescue, safety type applications. Yep. I don't think you'll get gigabytes of down, download, but you no. will get SMS, voice, those sorts of applications. Yep. Yeah, because, I mean, we've had sort of those EPIRB emergency um, mm. devices that you're always recommended to take if you're going off and tramping into the wilds and, uh, you know, some way have those emergency locator beacons. So That's right. So making that technology sort of more mainstream and more accessible is, has you know, got to be an upside from a safety perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, over the years we've been quite good on innovation. We've just announced you might have seen the... 5G lab at the Auckland University uh, Business School. So we're keen to see innovation. Hopefully some New Zealand startups will make use of it and yeah, we'll, we'll have yeah. our own version of uh, Starlink or something coming out of coming out of the 5G lab. But um, the other thing we did a few years ago, I, we did a search and rescue where we put a base station in a helicopter and the helicopter flew over the forest and when the mobile phone attached, yeah. we knew where the person was. So... You know, these sort of technologies are going to be great for that sort of thing as well. With a satellite up there, you'll be able to locate the person. And oh, that's great! Well, um, thank you very much, Tony. Really, uh, really appreciate catching up. And, thank you. Uh, thanks for sharing some some insights and what's going on in the in the world of uh, Vodafone, soon to be One NZ. So we'll we'll look out for that. That's uh, coming sometime the early part of 2023. The, the early rebranding. Once you've figured out all the technicalities and behind <laughs> the scenes of uh, how do you change Vodafone to One NZ and all your apps and That's billing right. systems. And uh, I guess there's a fair bit on the marketing uh, side as well to be looked after there. But yeah. uh, all the best with that. Thank you very much and great. have a great Christmas vacation period. Yeah, likewise. Hey, well, uh, thanks everyone for joining us on the NZ Tech Podcast. Uh, we'll look forward to catching you again on the next episode. Cheers. Bye. 
the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.